Well, I invite you to turn with me this morning to uh, Matthew 23. Uh, Matthew 23. And that'll be our passage for study uh, today. And um, we've been working our way through Matthew's gospel over quite some time now. Um, We come to this morning to chapter 23. Um, Let me read the first 12 verses and then um, I will try and situate it in the, the kind of gospel narrative. So, Matthew 23, verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so practice and observe what they tell you. But not what they do, for they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you're all brothers. And call no man, to, call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to your word again, we pray that you would grant to us that spirit of humility as we approach your word, that we would sit under it and not in critique over it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in this section of Matthew's Gospel where uh, Jesus is in Jerusalem. And uh, it's in the week before his crucifixion. So time is short. And uh, he has been debating, if you like, and discussing with various groups of people various questions that they have for him. And so chapter 21, 22, Jesus has been doing some teaching and parables, and then uh, a string of people come to him with questions. Uh, Pharisees, scribes, disciples of Pharisees, Sadducees, Herodians, uh, all kinds of uh, groups of people. But with one common aim, they may be different in their own views and things, but they have this one common aim. They want to trip Jesus up in some way. They want to entangle Jesus in his words so that perhaps they can arrest him, take him away, and remove him uh, from the scene. And you can perhaps imagine the the scene, if you like. There's Jesus uh, talking to these people, debating with these Pharisees and scribes and so on. But also present are Jesus' own disciples. And the crowds. Remember, it's, it's leading up to the Passover. Crowds are everywhere in Jerusalem. And so when something that looks, it's like, it's like a fight in a playground, isn't it? It's like when there's a fight in the playground, you know, people say, fight, and gather around. So it's not a helpful example. But here's Jesus debating with these Pharisees, and people start gathering around. And uh, 
You know, they're curious. They want to see what's going to happen here. They might be curious about the questions. They might be curious about Jesus and trying to find out what he's all about. And so they're watching and listening carefully. So in many ways, the, you know, it's not just that Jesus is debating with these uh, interlocutors who are coming to him with questions. Uh, he's actually also teaching all these people as well. It's always good to remember when you're in a discussion or something with somebody. There's always other people listening and watching and paying attention. In many ways, they're the most significant listeners. But Jesus now turns to all these other people, to his disciples, to the crowds, and uh, starts to speak to them directly. So the Pharisees and the scribes are there as well, but it's almost like Jesus speaking over their heads now to the crowds directly to them. And what follows in chapter 23 is an extensive description and criticism of the religion of the Pharisees. And nowhere else, in no other gospel, do you see such an extensive criticism of the Pharisees. The other gospel writers have small sections, but here's a, Matthew records a huge section on the hypocrisy and emptiness and shallowness of the religion of the Pharisees. And we need to grasp just how subversive Jesus is being here. Because he is going over the heads of the religious leaders at the time. We, we can have a you know, very simplistic view of the Pharisees, I think. Um, certainly when I was a young Christian, I, I used to think of the Pharisees as the, the baddies in the story. You know, they wear the black hats. You know, you know those cowboy movies that you used to have when, when I was a kid watching on a Saturday afternoon. And you always knew the bad guys because they wore the black hats. And the good guys always wore the white hats. And you, t- you know, all the signals are there. And I kind of thought of the Pharisees as the guys with the black hats. Everything they do is bad. And, you know, they look like baddies, so they must be baddies. <laughs> Here... But here's the problem. Uh, At the time, all these Pharisees were held in high regard by everyone. They were the religious leaders that everyone honored and respected in society. They were, as it were, pillars of society. And so when Jesus turns and starts to criticize them, you can see how subversive that is, how dangerous that can be. And he starts talking about what bad religion looks like by talking about these Pharisees, these leaders, these honored people in society. And they're all standing there watching. The Pharisees are standing there listening to this. What a bold thing our Jesus is. A bold person he is. What a bold thing to do. Just be bold. And say things that make people uncomfortable. There's a couple of main headings I have this morning. The first one's quite lengthy. It's about only two headings. And the first thing to note here is that Phariseeism is always shallow. Phariseeism is always shallow. In other words, Phariseeism does not grasp that the gospel of Jesus Christ and all those promises of the Old Testament 
They work, they're intended to work into the whole person and throughout the whole community of God's people. And so there is a depth to biblical religion that Phariseeism doesn't get. I was listening to a a sermon the other day by someone, uh, and it's not in this passage, by the way, so there's always a danger that you might end up preaching what they preached. Uh, But they're preaching on the gospel, um, what the gospel looks like in life. And, And he was talking generally about this gospel. And one of the things he said that seemed particularly relevant to this passage Uh, something that helps us get our minds in the right places. He said, the gospel is not advice. The gospel is news. The gospel is not advice. The gospel is news. Now, what does he mean by that? Every other religion offers advice and counsel about living so that you can get to God. The news is about something that's already happened. And this is the great thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Fundamentally, the gospel proclamation is news about something that's already happened. Or something that is going to happen, certainly, at the time of Jesus. You know, my predecessor, Dr. Albert Lutz, you remember he was the one that came, and some of the oldies will remember Dr. Lutz and how he came from the United States to plant a church here. And he was always talking about the good news, the good news of the gospel. And we've got to get that into our heads, that the, the gospel is fundamentally news, and it's good news that we declare to people and tell people about. It's not advice about how to get close to God. It's good news. This is what we need to be telling people in Solihull. We need to be telling people about the good news of Jesus Christ, about the cross, about his death and resurrection, so that people can see it and believe it, and believe the effectiveness of it, and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that they can be saved. Phariseeism, on the other hand, falls into this category of giving advice and counsel. It falls as a system of religion that seems to be determined to tell people what to do so that they can get closer to God. Now Jesus speaks about these Pharisees as teachers in this respective position. See, they have this uh, seat of, they sit in, the, in Moses' seat, verse 2. And so Jesus seems to kind of confirm their role, their office, if you like, because he says, so practice and observe what they tell you, but not what they do. So so do what they tell you, because they're in that office, they they have that position in society, but don't do what they do. Why does he say that? Well, they have a remarkable, we've already seen uh, how these various groups of people come to Jesus. And Jesus says, for example, to the Sadducees, he says, you are wrong because you do not know the scriptures. 
One of the problems with people like the Sadducees and the Pharisees is they were always reading the scriptures. They were always quoting the scriptures. But actually they got it wrong. They didn't understand the scriptures that they were uh, teaching about. And so they missed the central point of it. We see that in John chapter 5, verse 39. So Jesus is talking to uh, uh, the Jews at at the time, the leaders, and he says, Jesus says to them, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. But they don't accept him. They don't accept Jesus. And so at a fundamental level, they have not understood the scriptures. All the Old Testament scriptures are about Jesus Christ. They're all pointing forward to Jesus Christ in various kinds of ways. And all of that's missed. And instead, what the Pharisees have done is take one aspect of the the Old Testament, the law, and embellished it and built it up and added to it. And they tell people, you've got to do all of this. And you better make sure you do it. But they're hypocrites because they don't do it themselves. They don't do it themselves. In various various and many ways, they were not doing it themselves. You see, the, the Pharisees are using their position to lay a burden on the people. Uh, to, and it's an unbearable burden. As, as it were, the, the people are treated like, uh, like donkeys or cattle or, or slaves, where you load up all the goods that you want to transport and you, you put on as much as you can bear and more. And the poor slave or the poor donkey is staggering under the weight of it. And it's big and it's unwieldy and it can't, they can't do anything about it. And they're staggering left and right and they're constantly dropping the goods. And that's the kind of picture that the Phar- is painted here by Jesus of the Pharisees. Loading up the people with things that they need to be doing constantly. And the poor people are buckling under the weight of it. And the Pharisees themselves never lift a finger to bear the same load. They've got nothing to offer, nothing to help with, just advice and instruction that people cannot bear. And this is what Jesus says the religion of the Pharisees is like. You know, whenever the slave takes a few seconds to catch a breath, the whip comes out. This is how the Pharisees are operating. You can't take a breath on this. You keep carrying that burden. Keep carrying that burden. This is what happens with Phariseeism. It places burdens on people and offers no help. Not only is the, is the teaching a burden on the people, but it it has effects on the Pharisees themselves. And this is what Jesus now points out. You see, because it produces in them a shallow kind of religion. It's a religion that's only skin deep. A religion that doesn't affect the whole person. And we see these effects in verses 5 through to 7. 
And um, where everything, and we, what we see there is the Pharisees are only doing enough to be seen by everyone else. They're just doing enough to be seen by everyone else. They're thinking about themselves, you see. They're thinking about how they appear to other people. And so the religion becomes, this pharisaical religion becomes a religion of appearances. Where they care deeply about what other people think of them and their reputation. But not about the true depth of devotion to God. Jesus lists some of the ways. So in verse 5, they wear the phylacteries on their foreheads. And they have the long ringlets. Wide phylacteries. So a phylactery is a a kind of leather box that the Jews would wear um, just on their head. It goes with a strap around the the head and they wear it on the front. And in the box are little pieces of scripture. Uh, And so they they have this idea that the scripture is constantly on your mind. Literally. (laughs) It's kind of a strange thing. And you can see it today. Modern day Jews do that. It's a literal kind of application of have the scripture, the law of God constantly on your mind. Or the wrinklets, the, the, the kind of curls, curled fringes as a constant reminder um, of their devotion to God. Now all of that comes from Exodus 13 uh, where, where God says that, you know, have the word on your mind and uh, remember it, use the ringlets to, to remember me by but, of course, the, the point of it is, is not to literally bolt scripture to your head. The point is actually to have it in your heart and in your mind. So that you live, your whole body, your whole being is given over to devotion to God. And it was never intended to be an instruction where you just attach something to your head. Or grow your hair long in a strange way, perhaps. So, but the, the Pharisees literally obeyed this, and it gives it is great for appearances' sake, isn't it? You know, here's, here's a godly man. He's got a, he's got the scripture on his mind all the time, and he's still always thinking about the scripture. Well, so it looks, but it's not actually necessarily true. Or verse six, look at verse six. They love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues. They love the position of. Uh, Respect and honor. They love to be at the head of the table. You know, so some rich person would put on a feast and uh, he would sit at the head of the table, or she. And then uh, the great and the good would sit next to him. You can see how important people are, but how close they are to the rich person or the powerful person. And the Pharisees wanted to be there and to be seen to be there next to the rich and the powerful, the great and the good. Influential, significant. And how marvelous, floating through the crowds and uh, coming into the synagogue and coming down to the front and ostentatiously sitting at the front so that everybody can see you uh, arriving. Rich and powerful have always had that kind of issue where they, in past days in England and you know, Scotland, you, know, you could buy your pew and you could come in and everybody stand up. But when the Lord comes in, everybody stands up and... Uh, the Lord sits down with his family and uh, everybody then sits down. You know, gives honor and pride a place to the rich and the powerful. Or verse 7, uh, greeted in the marketplace as rabbi. 
um, you know, this, this idea of public recognition from the crowds. How marvelous it must have been just to kind of float through the crowds and uh, everybody coming up to you and saying, Rabbi, Rabbi, bowing, kissing your hand or something. What a marvelous thing, just floating around, having your hand kissed. It's great to be a religious leader in some circles. But all of this shows you what happens when you have a form of religion that's not about the good news. It's not about proclaiming news. It's about the law. It creates a kind of externalism where appearances are everything. And worse, it creates a dreadful hypocrisy where what is said is not what is done. And I want to suggest to you this morning that that's the default position of human beings. Human beings always are thinking in terms of appearances. And thinking in terms of, if they ever do think about God, and most, you know, everybody does, they're thinking about how can I get to God? What advice do I need to pick up on the way to get to God? How can I connect with God? How can I get up there? You look at every religion, every other religion, and every philosophy of life, and you see people trying to be better. I think it's a modern day religion. You know, be better. There's a kind of mantra that's coming out of certain circles. Everybody believes they're trying to be better. And telling other people to be better. And if there's a God, then, of course, then you'll be pleased with you. If you're better enough... But no one can do it. And it quickly becomes a huge burden on you that you cannot keep. And so what happens? You begin to cut the corners. You begin to focus on appearances rather than reality. You do things that impress other people, but secretly in your heart of hearts, you're just not really that into it. You become a hypocrite. You give yourself a free pass from trying too hard. And in the end, nothing but hypocrisy. How can this apply in the church then? As we're gathered as a church this morning, how can this apply in the church? Let me mention a couple of areas. Um, It can happen in church leaders who secretly live for recognition. You know, elders and ministers, office bearers, can secretly live for recognition. You know, there's there's a great temptation that comes upon people like me when I get to stand in front of a lot of people because I get recognition. But it can become a terrible temptation. And uh, it could be that I begin to live for appearances. And the danger is, of course, that even church leaders forget the basis of the good news, forget the gospel. And just give themselves appearances. And slip into a kind of moralism that no one can bear and start preaching moralistically. Do this, do that. Preaching moralistically without Jesus Christ. And the worst thing about it is that the ministers and elders don't apply it to themselves. The message of the gospel to themselves. They're always telling other people about it, but they're... And, and what it means and the implications of it, but they're never, never actually applying it to themselves. 
And that's why ministers can go off the rails. They can get secretly angry and frustrated because people are not doing things right and can drift into a form of authoritarian leadership, placing burdens on people, not applying the gospel to their own hearts and still less to the people under their care. You know, I could say a huge amount more about this. There's so many cases in recent days of, even amongst the Reformed churches, of authoritarian leadership going wrong because they have lost the gospel. But then it can happen to individual church members as well. You see, the essence of this Phariseeism is that such a person is always concerned about themselves, about what they're getting, about positions they're being given, about recognition they're receiving, about approval and validation from other people. They're always looking, it seems ever so humble, but actually they're always looking for validation and approval. And if it helps, you know, some sort of exaltation to a position. And it can be very subtle, you see. Because you can dress all, up, all of this up in religious language and religious activity. And it all seems very good. But actually, secretly, in your heart of hearts, you're looking for what you can get yourself. Call me a, a grumpy old man by now. But I've been around as a Christian long enough to be concerned about someone who only speaks in spiritual language. And never seems to have an interest in the ordinary things of people's lives. I've noticed that in those cases that if you wait long enough, a judgmental, pharisaical, critical spirit begins to come out. Because the message that that person has is, I'm presenting myself as spiritual and nobody's recognizing it. Nobody's as spiritual as me. See that Phariseeism that comes in? How we need to be careful about our own hearts. Well, Jesus has been telling us how the problem manifests itself in Pharisees. Let's now consider how the gospel affect how it is that the gospel affects us to the depths. In the remaining verses, Jesus shows us how his true disciples are. Uh, how his true disciples are to be in contrast to this skin-deep Phariseeism. The first thing to say is that a true disciple understands the gospel and the centrality of Jesus Christ. I mean, look with me at verse 7 um, and verse 8. In verse 7, the Pharisees like to be recognized as rabbi, but Jesus says, remember, you have one teacher. And then further on in verse 10, he says, Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. In other, in other words, what Jesus is pointing out here is that for true uh, biblical religion, he alone, Jesus Christ, has to be at the center and is the teacher. There's only one Father in heaven, there's only one Christ, there's only one instructor, one teacher. Jesus Christ. 
And the point for his disciples is this, that you as a Christian, you have no need of any other recognition than the fact that Jesus Christ has loved you and drawn you to himself and he recognizes you. And he wants to teach you. He wants to build you up. He wants to root you in his word so that you may grow and flourish. So nobody needs to be called rabbi. You don't need to be recognized as an important person in the church. You don't need all that. You need Jesus Christ. Central in everything. And I need to, I suppose I need to add a qualifier, just in case people understand, misunderstand me. God does appoint teachers and preachers, and leaders and elders and so on, uh, in the church. And you, you, you know, look at Ephesians 4, 4, 11, 1 Corinthians 12, 28, uh, where... The Holy Spirit apportions gifts to the church. So there are people that are given special tasks in the church and office. And it's right to give honor to those people uh, who are set apart for the task of eldership, particularly 1 Timothy 5.17. It is good to do that. Uh, this is a digression. I mean, last week uh, was, last couple of weeks was quite significant for Reformed churches. A number of significant fig- figures died. Uh, Tim Keller, uh, Harry Reader uh, in the PCA, uh, Donald McLeod in the Free Church, I don't know if you know Donald McLeod, uh, Gordon Keddy who writes uh, commentaries uh, as well. Th- four men who've died very quickly, quick succession. But I, was, I, was, I tuned into the memorial service for Harry Reader. Um, one of the biggest churches in the Presbyterian Church in America. Very influential figure. Very influential church. It was a beautiful thing to hear all the testimonies of family and colleagues of uh, to, to a much beloved pastor of the church. And it's good and right to do all that kind of thing. To honor elders and ministers who have served Christ well. But giving honor is quite a different thing from a minister wanting or even demanding honor. The heart of a Pharisee demands honor. It wants to be treated with honor and respect. It's constantly banging on about the, the verses where elders need to be honored. But all Christians especially teachers and preachers, need to see Jesus Christ as the teacher and instructor of the church. And, and that's a great truth about the preaching ministry. Uh, the, the ministry of people like me who get to stand in front of other people Sunday by Sunday. That The great truth is not that there's a man standing here teaching, giving teaching to you. The, the, the problem with that is, if you just see this as a man standing here giving you teaching, then there's always a danger that you think it's not, if you think it's not any good, you're not going to listen to the teaching. You're not going to receive it. And, and I, you know, that's, that's something I think many Christians wrestle with. I've got a terrible teacher in the pulpit, and therefore I'm not going to listen to what he, what he says. And so you end up with this attitude of take it or leave it teaching. 
attitude to teaching. But if you see it as you should, which is that through this strange uh, method where God, as it were, takes these, these jars of clay called men <laughs> and he sits them at the front and then out of this jar of clay is brought the treasures of the gospel as the Apostle Paul describes it, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Jars of clay with treasures in, inside. And you see that it is Jesus who is, is taking those treasures out of the jar of clay and distributing the treasures to people. Then you're going to have a totally different attitude to preaching and the ministry of the word. You're going to come here because you know that Jesus Christ is going to turn up and he is going to feed you the treasures of his word. Regardless of the weaknesses and the failings and the sins of the the jar of clay at the front, you know there's treasure. And that's what you want. Jesus Christ, you see, is the instructor. Jesus is the teacher. And we should acknowledge him above all as the teacher. You're coming on Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings, I hope, to meet with Jesus again. And to receive the treasures from him. So the first thing to say is that the true Christian understands the centrality of Jesus Christ. The second thing to say is that that changes your attitude to other brothers and sisters. Jesus says in verse 8, you are all brothers. While there's a certain degree of organization and structure in the church, in essence, we're all the same. No one sees themselves above your brothers and sisters. Even ministers and elders count themselves as the same as everyone else. But the attitude that applies to everyone is this, uh, taken from Philippians 2, 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or, or conceit, But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. See, this is how you become a servant. A true servant. This is what the gospel does. It goes deep. It makes you into a servant who desires to serve other people and do things for other people. To look out for other people. To care for other people. And so the basic attitude that comes in someone who has the gospel and has received Christ and does not just receive religious advice is to become those true servants, caring about other people, thinking of ways to help. Friends, you may be here this morning and you realize that you may have a pharisaical heart, at least to some degree. Maybe you've come here and you're concerned to to receive advice. You, You want advice for life. You want to be taught some better ways to live and all this kind of thing. You're worried about what people think of you. Or you may not be a Christian yet. Or you... Or you may be a Christian who has not yet ditched those habits of the heart. The answer, of course, to all of this is to submit yourself to Jesus Christ. To exalt him in your minds and your hearts. Stop trying to be better. Stop trying to gain other people's approval. 
Jesus didn't come for good people. He didn't come for, well, perfect people, nice people. He came for sinners and failures, weak people. Just come to Jesus. You'll forgive all your sins and begin the process of renovation in your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your wonderful, wonderful word. Thank you for the searching truth of Jesus Christ. How we need him central, front and center of our lives. And we pray that, Lord God, you'd help us to ditch the habits of a lifetime in wanting to care about our, our appearances and to care only about Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, hear us in this. And for those of us who perhaps do not know Jesus Christ yet, help us to come to him and to know that if they do, they will be received and forgiven of sin. In Jesus' name, amen.